welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I'm your host, Joe Boris, and I'm here with our, you know, Clean Technica contributor, Lauren McDonald, who is also the uh, CEO and founder of evadoption.com. Lauren, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hey, uh, low Joe, as we like to call us team, uh, but in all seriousness, Joe, it's it's uh, great to be on with you. Really looking forward to unraveling what is one of the most complex complicated pieces of legislation i think in in history so uh yeah we'll, and we'll what, do our best we'll do our best and what lauren is referring to there is you know the inflation reduction act and how that affects the not only the ev industry but really every aspect of the automotive industry from the dealerships to the manufacturing there and you know there's a lot of things that could have been there that we thought were going to be in there and things that ended up being on the cutting room floor. You know, there was a lot of talk early on about an e-bike credit that didn't happen. There had been previously a motorcycle credit for up to 10% of the cost of the electric motorcycle that's on the floor. And there's quite a few other things that seem like they're missing too. Lauren, why don't we talk about that a little bit? Oh, you want to, you want to go straight to what's uh, what was not in there that should have been right. Is that where you're, <laughs> is that where we're going, Joe? Well, right you know, honestly, I, I think I feel like right out of the box, right? Because th this has been promoted so heavily as like, you know, oh, we're taking away the limitation of 200,000 units. We're applying this to anything and everything, right? But that's not what it is. This is, there's a lot of limitations as far as what's going to count and what's not going to count. And I think if we start looking at it from the point of view of what's missing, we can then start to kind of turn back around to why it's missing and then kind of analyze what's actually there. Yeah, I mean, if if what's what in in my personal opinion, what's missing is anything effective to actually reduce greenhouse gases in, <laughs> in the near term and actually sell electric vehicles, because you know, Joe, what what you know, I've sort of talked about this. What uh, I I jokingly refer to, or actually seriously refer to, this as is the Freedom from China Act, because what it what it really is is a trade. It's trade regulation, right? It's, yes. And so, and so, you know, whereas the whereas the previous version of the of what was called uh, uh, IRC 30D, what which what we all refer to as just the federal EV tax credit, you know, it provided up to a seventy five hundred dollar tax credit, a non refundable tax credit, meaning if you didn't have a 70 if you didn't have or whatever the the uh, appropriate amount of credit was for the ev you were you were buying if you didn't have that amount of tax liability you, you didn't get the full credit you'd only right. get the, the amount uh, up up to your to well your that tax was always yeah. that was always one of the criticisms right is that this was a tax credit for people who didn't need the extra money and you, and and I and I would and I would agree with that, with that, right? And in fact, you know, we're we're, we're jumping right into to some of the things. Is I, I've done analysis on I've gotten from IRS uh, data for 2018 2019 tax years, and in 2019, basically 80 percent of the tax credit went to people making above a hundred thousand dollars a year of adjusted 
you know, gross income, which means they actually made actually, you know, more than that and more than 50% made above $200,000, right? And so one of the, the criticisms of the previous one version was that it that the credit was going to upper income people actually is borne out by 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 the data. Now obviously, you know, not everybody, there's, you know, 20% or so that are were under that level, but you know, the the new credit actually has some adjusted gross income caps, but they're still, you know, they're still pretty high, right? They they're not actually limiting this to, you know, what I would say is sort of moderate and lower lower income people, which I think is is one of the mistakes. Well, I, I agree with you 100% that it's one of the mistakes, and, and I think it's one of the shortcomings, right? Because if you look at the people who are and, – and this may be anecdotal, but I think there's evidence there to back this up, and I can certainly go digging for that. But I think if you talk about who is driving cars that don't have fully functional emission systems, who is <laughs> driving cars that have worn-out tires that are shedding more and more particulates right, into the right. air, who is driving cars that are running – maybe not the highest quality gasoline, maybe has an oil leak here and there, you know, that that's that lower income group. And they are doing a disproportionate amount of the polluting simply because right. they can't afford to upgrade it, it, their vehicle. Exactly. I've got a, you know, one of my favorite stats, Joe, is, uh, and this blows a lot of people's mind, 25% of the vehicles on the road in America today are 16 years or older. Okay, so one out of every four vehicles on the road, and there are 200 and about 85 million vehicles on, on the road. So, you know, more than 70 million cars and trucks on the road today, right, are those are driven by those that sort of group that you're talking about. And we're not picking on them. It's all they can afford, right? Right. Uh, car, cars are so goddamn expensive, right? I mean, especially now, but but they've always been expensive, right? And and, well, and I mean, we're we're getting into the weeds here, but I mean, right, there, right. There was a time where, you know, I mean, I I, I was in college in the 90s and, you know, you could work a, a part-time job or 30 hours a week and yeah. afford a car. Maybe not a fancy car, but you could afford a new car. There is no way that a kid working a summer job at the gas station yeah. in 2022 can go buy himself a Camaro. It's just yeah. not going to happen. Yeah, actually, when I was in high school, my dream car was the uh, Dodge Challenger 346, uh, 340 uh, TA six pack, right? And it was twenty five hundred dollars. <laughs> exactly, right? it was twenty five. I still didn't get one. I got a Chevy Love pickup. Uh, used. Oh, those are cool. <laughs> those are great. But. but but yeah, but I mean, you know, what, what we're getting at, Joe, is, you know, really into kind of the, the weeds of some of this of, of you know, who, who uh, what I think the intent of, of a, a tax credit or, or what it really should be is a rebate, right? Yes. Is, 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 to, is to really two things. One is the biggest problem we have today is electric vehicles are generally speaking not affordable. And then, you know, a few people will try it out. Well, oh, wait a minute. You know, there's the the Chevy Bolt that's twenty six thousand eight hundred or whatever. Well, that's like one. Right? <laughs> that's one out of eighty BEVs and PHEVs that's that's under thirty thousand, right? And I think the Leaf is right around thirty thousand. So maybe we have two, but still, that that group that we're talking about, they don't buy new vehicles, right? right? Thirty thousand might as well be eighty thousand. You know, they, they they buy five thousand, seven thousand, ten thousand dollar used vehicles with 
you know, with, with money that they, they've, they've scraped together. And so the good news, we, we've been sort of negative so far, Joe, is the good news is, is, is it's Monday. One of, it's fine. Yes. Yes. One of the positive aspects of the legislation. So not to say it's, it's all not good was, is the $4,000 rebate for, uh, for used EVs, right? Now, so, now, but let's let's unpack that a little bit because you're calling that a rebate instead of a tax. Well, yeah, in fact, you know there is so much compl- There's so much, you know, that's really complicated. I actually have like ten pages of of charts and graphs and printouts and everything in front of me here, just just to try to keep it all, you know, t- top of mind here. And let me look at this. Yeah, so you're right. It still is just just a credit. However, going forward, and so uh, this is one of the things I wanted to talk about was all sort of the dates when all of this this stuff sort of took effect. But in a couple of years, you will be, you will actually be able to transfer the it as a credit into, in essence, a down payment, a deposit, a reduction in the price at the dealer. So when you buy a vehicle. Uh, beginning 2024, January 1st, 2024, I believe it is. Let me just look at my notes here. Yes, January 1st, 2024 is both for new and used. You will be able to basically take the, the amount of the credit, go to a dealer, buy a car, and then transfer that credit to the dealer who then applies uh, the appropriate amount, either as a down payment or a reduction in price in the car. And so, you know, one of the things that we were talking about earlier is to really get into the tax weeds here is the difference between a refundable and non-refundable tax credit. And so the previous one legislation was non-refundable. Again, as I said, you you know, if you don't have that amount of tax liability, you lose, right? And right. so in one of the, it was either the House or the Senate versions that never made it, that never, you know, never got approved. There was a change to refundable. And that was one of the best aspects of this, right? Because then it turns it into, in essence, like a point of sale rebate, which is what's really needed if you really want to move the needle, right? Is people actually, you know, so they don't, you might have to wait literally, you know, 18 months or something between the time you buy to actually get the benefit of the tax credit. Whereas if it's, if it's actually converted into a, a rebate, right? You take it right off the the, the price of the car at, at when when you're buying it. It actually isn't clear, Joe. And I've talked to multiple people, and it isn't clear if if there is a non-refundable. Uh, excuse me, if there's a refundable aspect to this latest one. Now, people, you know, and you're speaking to some really good points, and I, I don't want to cut you off, but I yeah. I, I want to definitely highlight that and say, like, you know. Zachary and I, we've talked about this and Steve Hanley as well. And, you know, we're, we're writers, we're journalists, we're looking at other things, we're reading the stories and we're on top of this, I think pretty well, but you're like a hugely respected industry analyst. You've got a pedigree that goes back decades. This is your expertise. This is exactly where you are. And even you've got 10 pages of notes and going back and forth and, you know, with, with, with legal looking at it and going like, it's not really clear. It's not. I think that that's something that really is, is kind of being overlooked here is how really convoluted a lot of this is. And some of the weird things that are in it, like, for example, we're talking about this $4,000 credit for used vehicles and that's great, but it only applies at a dealer. 
right? Like I can't sell you my EV in like a private right, deal and right. you can take that yep. credit. So you are now effectively forcing people to trade in their EVs and, uh, you know, essentially enabling a dealer to market up and make a profit on it on these secondhand cars on the secondhand market. And it, it just kind of seems again, like we're taking more money away from the people who are in that lower income bracket who could benefit the most from an EV. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. And I mean, and not only that, Joe is, is, you know, you're, you're talking about the used aspect of, of that converting it, but, but, you know, you're, you're looking at one of the hottest topics right now is all the dealer markups of, of, of EVs that are going on and, and any vehicle, in fact. And so, you know, what a lot of people are assuming is, is that the same thing is going to happen here. So, you know, they'll, right. just, they'll just raise the price, but they'll, they'll, they'll just, just raise the price on either sort of the, the, the new or, or, or used ones. Right. So, you know, thinking that, well, people are getting the, the, you know, the credit, or in that case, they're getting an actual, you know, sort of point of sale rebate. Well, we'll just, we'll just, we'll pad this and mark up our, our margins and, you know, whether that happens or not, let's, let's, Let's withhold judgment on on dealers. They take enough enough heat as it is, but yeah. but Joe, you know why don't we dive into some of the kind of the the you know the meat of this thing, which is really sort of uh, I don't want to call it the controversy, but but which is really the which is why I call it the Freedom from China Act, which is the battery requirements. So. Yeah. You know, just to sort of close out on on a couple other things real quickly. I mean, the sort of you know the most obvious and biggest change first and foremost was the elimination of the 200,000 uh, EVs sold cap, right? Which Tesla hit first, then GM, Toyota actually hit it in right Q1. Before pass, yeah. Ford, Ford may hit it today, right? They're hitting it, you know, by my forecast, they're hitting it sometime in, in this quarter. And then it takes literally five quarters to sort of phase it down to zero. So, you know, that, that, that wouldn't have impacted uh, a consumer immediately, but that that goes away, and instead, this this version actually ends at the end of twenty thirty two. So there is sort of an, an end life of this thing, but the real big change was the the battery uh, requirements, which which is in in two tranches, if you will. The first being the battery minerals and the second being, in essence, the, the, the battery cells. And so whereas before the $7,500 maximum amount of the tax credit was this arcane formula that, that somebody came up with it. So you did all these weird calculations based on the, the size of the, the battery pack. So the kilowatt hour of the battery pack. And in essence, any PHEV or BEV that had a 16 uh, kilowatt hour or larger battery pack, the math made it so that you that it qualified for the 7,500. So, you know, a Toyota Prius Prime, which has a battery pack of, I'm by memory, like 10 kilowatt hour, something like that, it, it would only qualify for like 4,200 or something like that, whatever the number is. I don't have all those memorized, yeah. but the... But the, the real thing this time is, is the $7,500 is broken down into, into halves, right, uh, if you will. And it's, you know, PASCO or, or you know, or FAIL. And so it's, it's $3,750 each for these, these two battery requirements. And the first one is, is the, the battery material. So the, you know, the lithium, the manganese, the cobalt, the nickel. Right. So the, we're the saying that, yeah. that stuff can't come from China. It has to come from 
you know what what is being read by many people to say North America, but actually says it's, like a, it's a, actually a not a trade partner, right? Yeah. So it, it has to come from a, a country where we have exactly as you said, we had a a, a free trade and after a free trade uh, agreement with you know which includes mineral intensive countries like Chile, like Australia, like Indonesia, like Korea, et cetera, right? I mean, Korea is more on, less on the sort of the, the resources and more on the, the manufacturing side. But right. so, but China, as, as many listeners may or may not know, even though they have some of the largest mineral sources in the country of China for a lot of these things, they actually also are like the largest refiners of these things. So there's an example is there's a uh, a large uh, lithium mine in Australia, but it's owned by a Chinese company, right? So even though it's, you know, in theory coming from Australia, it's actually wouldn't qualify because it's, it's, it's actually owned. And so there's some, not to like, this is really complicated, but there's some components later on where if, if these things come from a country uh, that's non-friendly, meaning China, right? Actually, right. the car the car is disqualified entirely. So it's, then it's not even a percentage. It's literally the the car would not qualify for for anything, right? But but to get back to the so the reality, Joe, is because so much of the battery supply chain is dependent on China. This that first thirty seven fifty qualification of battery minerals is. Almost none of the current is it's, 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 it's it. in, unclear, but it's possible that zero, it's very likely that zero EVs, BEVs, PGVs, Tesla, you name it, ethic, nothing will qualify because so much of that source of the minerals will come in. So for several years, until we get the battery supply chain in place in North America and with the, these these other you know free trade countries, the maximum that you will be able to get is the other 3750, which is the battery cells. And there again, most of this, a lot of the cells are from overseas, right? They're from China, they're from Korea, et cetera. And so, and, and just to be, be clear also is, is where it gets even more complicated is, is that the requirements start at different percentages levels. So the mineral starts at must be 40% or greater starting December uh, or, or starting as soon as Mayor Pete and Treasury and, and IRS actually come up with the rules. So here's where it gets even crazier, Joe, is we're actually waiting on those three entities to actually make the final rules and decisions on all of these things, which has to happen by the end of this year, but we don't know when that's going to happen. And so once that, those final rules are decided is when these things start to take effect. Right. And they it's could change. So wild. Yeah. They, it could they, change. They could, they could change some, some of these requirements. Right. But basically the, the minerals have to be, it's based on the value. So it's not based on like, you know, pounds of lithium or, or something like that, right? It's actually based on the dollar value being 40% or, or, or greater starting next year, right? I mean, so this that's is, interesting. So we're talking now about the value of lithium as a commodity, and that's where it's coming from? Yes, yes. So, yeah. So it's that, like we were saying. So, you know, it, 
yeah, it's somebody, this is going to, you know, I joke that this is the Freedom from, from China Act. It's also the, you know, Accountant Job Security Act, right? Because somebody is going to have to analyze and attest to what the automakers say, where all the, these minerals are coming from and calculate the percentages and everything like that. And the reality is that you talk to the automakers and they actually don't even know some of them where some of the stuff is coming from because you know they're buying it from a subcontractor of a subcontractor of a subcontractor of a supplier and so it's it's really complex that's why nobody can come out and say specifically which cars you know will and, and will not you know basically yeah, exactly. qualify for this but but the reality is joe just to sort of try to simplify this is it's it's unlikely that any cars at least for the next several years will qualify for the, the battery minerals perspective. You know, there could be one or two that, you know, we're, we're you know, not sure of that, that that might get in there, but then the battery cells. So the, the cells that make up the, basically the, the, the batteries and the battery packs, there probably could be, you know, maybe about a half a dozen, a couple of the Teslas, the Model 3 and Model Y made in Fremont uh, or, and, you know, uh, manufactured at the Nevada Gigafactory as well as some of the upcoming GMs that are made at the, the joint LG factory in, in Ohio. And there might be a few other Nissan Leaf and a couple that are manufactured, the cells are made down in the South, right? But because this is, you know, not sort of detailed, it's that public, you know, the manufacturers don't necessarily share where every cell is made and that type of thing. It's, it's entirely uh, unclear, but let's just say a handful for the next couple of EVs, well, the next couple of years, will probably qualify for just half of the tax credit. And then it's going to take several years, you know, for more and more as these supply chains just get, get set up. As a leader in energy storage technologies, Wurzela Energy Storage and Optimization's mission is to make storage a fundamental part of a cleaner, more intelligent and distributed energy infrastructure. We are a passionate team tackling exciting challenges in the energy industry as we transition the power grid to a 100% renewables future. Our technologies and solutions are a critical components supporting utilities, renewables developers, independent power producers, and many more energy asset owners in their decarbonization journeys. As Vertilla Energy Storage continues to grow, we are always on the lookout for future-oriented talent, talent that shares our passion for the energy transition. Want to join us as we scale up? Please visit storage.vartzilla.com forward slash careers to learn more today. So let me ask you two other questions. This is this is kind of a little it's bit of mind numbing. Oh yeah, no, it's horrible. <laughs> but I, I think there's some people who there are some companies who are well positioned and other companies obviously who are going to be caught off balance, right? And the two that come to mind is number one is Volvo, because Volvo has already implemented a not a cryptocurrency, but a blockchain solution where they have been able to say, you know, from the ground, from the mine, into the refinery, into this and that, where all their materials come from. And they use that as a chain of custody to sort of, you know, prove provenance of their materials so that they can say that, you know, we're not pulling anything from a conflict region. We're not pulling it, that it's all ethically sourced, right? Yep. And then they also follow it in the vehicle once it comes back around into the recycling phase. Right now they're doing the second life thing where they're reusing the early hybrid batteries from the T8s as uh, you know home backup and hospital backup things. But that, that's that's also part of their tracking solution, right? So I think they, because they've already developed and worked out this system, 
I think they're going to be in a little bit better place to be able to prove that provenance and, you know, take advantage of those tax credits and things like that, especially for the cars built in South Carolina for the U.S. market. And I think another company that might, and I, and I this is a question, this is not a statement, right. that might be really well positioned here is Toyota, because unlike every, literally every other manufacturer out there, Toyota has not gone down the road of these lithium ion batteries. It's not to say that they don't use lithium in their battery. They do use, you know, uh, lithium carbon or, or carbonate in the batteries, but it's a little bit different. They use a lot less of it. And, and I think it's something that they, that they currently aren't sourcing in China. Right. That I, 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 I don't know. The other thing about, you know, two other things about Toyota is, is they're, you know, they're moving towards solid state batteries, right? Which, which also sort of impacts. I mean, everybody's um, been moving the, towards the, solid the, state yeah, batteries. Yeah. For, but yeah. I mean, they're, they, they've touted it a lot. The, the interesting thing though, is, is solid state batteries actually uses more lithium than the, you know, most of the other, other chemistries. It uses less of other things, but more lithium, right? You know, the real, the real issue with, with Toyota, not to get off on a tangent, Joe, is, is, you know, right now they actually don't have a BEV in the marketplace. The BZ4X is, you know, has been pulled, right? And none of their PHEVs are made in North America, right? They're all made in Japan. The the, the Prius right. Prime and the Rav4 Prime are made in oh, in Japan. Japan. So that's the other thing that we haven't talked about, Joe, which is one of the most important aspects to all of this. Which is right off the top, there there are only about thirty, or excuse me, there are about uh, twenty one EVs that are are made in North America. And that means they're manufactured, they're assembled in either Mexico, Canada, or the US. And so there's basically 21 of those vehicles. So about another 60 are disqualified off the top, right? And and that took effect on August 16th when uh, when Biden signed the legislation. So that went in effect immediately, right? And so, yeah, so, you know, you start with this sort of like 80 or so BEVs and PHEVs that, that in theory could, could qualify. And, you know, we cut like 60 of them off the top. Then you take the, the battery cells and the battery minerals that knocks off, you know, almost all of them. And then, you know, other things we haven't talked about, Joe, is the uh, MSRP caps, right? Which caps sedans and station wagons, uh, salons for you, you those listeners in Europe, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, or no, uh, no, that's, yeah. And what, what do they call the them? Saloon, uh, saloon cars. Saloons yeah, and shooting cars. breaks. Shooting breaks. That's what I was thinking of. Yes, yes. You can see I haven't been on an airplane outside of America for a while. Get this well, there, you know, something came yeah. up about two years ago and a lot of us didn't go on vacation anymore. Yeah, yeah. But so 55,000 MSRP cap for those and 80,000 for SUVs, crossovers and pickups. Right. And so obviously that you know, that disqualifies, you know, the, the Lucid Air, it liquids qualifies Tesla Model S and Model X, it, you know, all the sort of the yeah. high-end luxury ones right the off Hummer, the top. The Hummer, the Taycan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, and, you know, and that's actually not a bad thing, but I actually think it should be lower. I think it should be flat. I think it should be 40K because, you know, back to your opening question, Joe, is my belief is, and and most people actually disagree with me on this, but but I believe, you know, if we're going to force the automakers to build out the battery supply chain with this, we should actually force them to make under $40,000 affordable EVs because, 
you know, people that are making a decent salary actually don't need the tax credit, right? They actually don't, they, you know, does it help them? Yes. Does it make it an easier decision? Yes. Do they actually need it? No. What we really need is not a tax credit. What we need is like 50 EVs that cost under $40,000. 100%. Or, you know, the other aspect of this conversation is, or we need a minimum wage that tracks with inflation. You know, I mean, yeah, something well, like that, because if you, I, mean, I think that that's, one, that's one be, solution or the know, other, that's beyond are, the clean vehicle credit. <laughs> that's beyond. <laughs> yeah, we, we can yeah, go, we can go yeah. way off the rails with this yeah. one. Like, you know, but capitalism but, is but, the problem, boys. <laughs> but I mean, because, you know, the, this was not the clean vehicle credit, I believe was not a tax credit. Right. But what it was, was it was trade policy. Right. It's trade and, policy, and, yeah. and and so you can say that's a good thing and that is a good thing. I'm just not sure a consumer tax credit was the way to do that, because the net of this is, as we've been discussing for, you know, the majority of this of this podcast, Joe, is that almost no vehicles are going to qualify. Right. So is it actually a tax credit, at least for several years? Right. Yeah. So. You know, Do and- you think the average voter, because when, when this bill got passed, it was, it was touted as like this huge success for Biden and the Democrats and everything else. Do you believe that the average person, the average guy who's like maybe e-curious, who hasn't bought an EV yet, who's still driving around and, you know, an Explorer or a Grand Cherokee or something, and maybe they're thinking their next car might be electric or might be a hybrid do you think they understand any of this or do you think they're going to go to the dealer, get told all of this nonsense and think they're being given a runaround and then just kind of like give up on the whole thing? Yeah. I mean, the, the short answer is Joe, no, they, they, they don't know. They're confused. I mean, I get the, you know, the most, the highest volume of questions that I have received at EV adoption over the last five, six years is all about the tax credit. Right. Like the number one page visited on my website for five years has been the list of how many, you know, how many EVs have been sold. Right. So when does when does an automaker no longer qualify? Right. So I get all these questions about that. But no, they don't know. There was a great article in Automotive News a week or so ago where the reporter interviewed a bunch of dealers and they were like, we have no clue. We don't know. We can't understand this thing. How the hell do they expect us to explain this to, to buyers? Right. So to, you know, to the answer to your question, can it almost be kind of like the blind leading the blind? But the reality is consumers have been led to believe that they can go down to a dealer and get a $7,500 tax credit. That's it. And they don't, and under- they, and they, and may they not understand. They, they ain't going to be able they to. They ain't going to be exactly right. I was going to say, they may <laughs> not understand. My grammar, but I'll, yeah, it's just, yeah. You know, maybe, really maybe sad. in 2027 or something, right. <laughs> the, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll get the supply chain. You know, I mean, set up. Yeah. you and I have talked about a lot of the things that, you know, really could have made a big impact out there. And I think, and this is again, a little bit of a curveball, not what we intended to talk about, but I think that, you know, I have to give props to CARB for coming out with that 2035 restriction. I, I don't want to call it a ban, but it's a restriction on internal combustion private sales. And all of the states that are going to follow suit with CARB, yeah. I feel like that is much more in line with what needs to happen. You know, the only real criticism I have of that is that it says 2035 instead of 2025, right? <laughs> wow, you're a, you're a hardliner. But, uh, you know, it's yeah, not a question yeah. of being a hardliner. It's a question of like, 
you know, and, and I've said this multiple times at this point to, you know, I, I should make a bumper sticker by now, you know, electric cars aren't here to save the environment. Electric cars are here to save the car industry, right? Like that's what's happening. What we ultimately need to do is start making changes that are going to change the planet. And, you know, to me, that's better public transit. That's more people on bicycles. That's right. We need yeah. really, you know, and I know you'll agree with agree with this, Joe, is where the money really needs to go is it is into dedicated bicycle barriers uh, on streets so that it's actually safe for people to ride bikes. And right. Like we need we need to if we really want to you know, be like Europe and and we want to reduce GHGs, we actually have to reduce the number of cars, get people out of cars, period, whether they're EVs or right. not. Like exactly we, we've right. got to we've got to reduce that and get people first and last mile, get people on mass transit, right? I live out in the suburbs though. And, you know, it, it takes me 15 minutes to drive a car to get to the nearest BART station, right? So we've got to solve that, you sure. know, that first mile, we've got to make it, you know, better to, to ride bikes and stuff. So that's, you know, if we really want to reduce GHGs, that that's what we should have, should have focused on. But, you know, it, it, it is what it is, but you're right. I mean, carb, Carb is ultimately going to have a, a bigger impact than the Clean Vehicle Act because it's it's going to force some of the the, the laggards. You know, my big news uh, out on uh, you know Honda's just just announced a joint venture battery factory with LG Energy Systems. You know, and so we're going to see. Uh, you know, the Japanese automakers have have been laggards, Joe. Uh, yeah, they've on, been dragging on, on, their feet, dra dragging their feet. All of them: Subaru, Mazda, Honda. Uh, you know, Toyota, Nissan, I mean, you know, Nissan gets a lot of props for the Leaf, but they've done nothing else since then. Right. No, and, and the Leaf was like, you know, it was a fine hatchback. It was a fine compact hatchback. car. Yeah. Yeah. But it, but it's a compact hatchback. How excited yeah. can you get yeah. as an American, you know, historically Americans don't buy compact hatchbacks. Yeah. So and so those automakers though, like Honda and Toyota dominate California, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Honda's you know Honda's sales are are tanking here, right? Because they they don't have any sort of compelling alternative powertrain vehicles. They got a you know a, a a hybrid Accord and stuff, but their sales their sales were down forty percent for first half of the year. Wow. Right? Where you know Tesla Tesla and Genesis are the only two up first half of the year. Every other automaker is down, right? But the Japanese was sort of down significantly right and so the point of that is is not to just pick on the, the the japanese automakers though is is because they've historically done so well in california carb not not the clean vehicle act is going to force them to start to get their their act together yeah right because you're 100 right they're going to have those significant penalties if they don't have the zev you know credits and so they're they're gonna you know have to get it together and so if they focus on you know some compelling evs for california and then you know a dozen or so other zev states follow along with a 2035 phase out right as you said it's it's technically not a ban because you just don't get the credits right but you know that that's going to be significant in enforcing them if they see that you know a, a third of their market has to, you know basically is going to require you know either a, a BEV or a fifty 
mile range PEV, uh, which is, you know, off off topic probably for this podcast, but I'd love to talk about that in a future one. Absolutely, man. We'd love yeah. to do more Lauren McDonald stuff. Lojo needs to come back. Lojo, get... baby. Lojo yeah. needs more plat. That's what we, that's what you and I need is more audience. <laughs> Everything, certainly something good will come of that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, listen, I, you know, we're getting to the end of our time contract here and I, I really, really appreciate, you know, you coming on. And I, one thing I always do with my guests is I ask them how we can follow along, how we can plug you, how we can do more with you, but we've already plugged evadoption.com. We've already yeah. talked about Twitter. We know you're on clean technical already. People can go back and read your past articles as well. So I'm going to kind of change it up a little bit and I'm going to ask you a weird question. I, and I haven't prepped you for this. So I want your honest opinion. Do you think GM's product people are reading this legislation and kicking themselves for discontinuing the Volt? I love that question. <laughs> no, but I wish they 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 did. You know, I I think to, you know the short answer is Joe is I I think what GM did is they made a decision that they just wanted to focus on two powertrains, yes. full BEV and ICE. And, and I, I actually believe the Chevrolet Volt powertrain is the best EV ever made. We don't have the time to sort of get into that. But I think for America, you know, a 50-mile range plug-in hybrid solves like 127 hurdles to yeah. EV adoption in the middle of the country, right? Yeah, there, and, there's and 99 billions, problems and it billions solves of dollars of them, yeah. DC fast charging infrastructure we wouldn't need, et cetera, right? But at any rate, let's not, let's go there. But, well, let's, let, we'll uh, do that I, on the next episode. We'll do, why do, the Chevy Volt was yeah. the best EV ever made. <laughs> but but I actually had, I had a chance to, to talk with Mark Royce, the president of, of, of GM a couple of years ago, sort of about that. Yeah, and they just, they just felt that, uh, it was time to move on and that they just wanted to have one powertrain of the future and focus BEVs and because they knew that that was where we're, we're going. But I, yeah. I, I th actually think it was a huge mistake. I, actually I, I agree with you. I think it was mistake. a huge mistake. And I think I think it says something to like the stones on the GM marketing team when you've been running the small block Chevy V8 since 1953 to have the audacity to say we're going to focus on ice innovation. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. All right. Lauren, thank you so much for doing this, man. I know you've got a ton of projects and I know this was a huge ask of you. Thank you so, so much. And, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll do this again sometime soon. Yeah, no, it was, it was fun. I don't know if it was actually coherent or not. <laughs> we, 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 you know, covered so <laughs> much. Say, bounce, you haven't heard a lot of these, have you? This is right. a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I actually think we probably didn't even cover half of the, uh, half of the changes in the new law. No. It's so complex. But, we can't, uh, it's 700 pages and you know, the, yeah. the average attention spans about 25 minutes. So we're there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, hopefully it was helpful uh, to your listeners at some level. Oh, I think it's great. And I think it's good to, uh, you know, at least from 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 a personal perspective, it's always good to reconnect with you and do this kind yep. of thing. So good luck to you and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks. Take care. Later, buddy. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks.
Yeah, yeah, yeah.